Welcome to the King's Cast. Dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Uh, I welcome you if you've downloaded the King's Cast today. The title is Pandemonium. And we're in Exodus chapter 20. And let's pick it up in verse 4. These are the Ten Commandments. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. How many of you would agree he's talking about idolatry there? Do not make an idol. Okay. The next verse, you shall not bow down to them. What's he talking about? The idols. Or worship them. What's he talking about? The idols. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Let's turn to the book of Deuteronomy now, a couple of books ahead, and chapter 5. God said to them, if you will worship an idol, I will punish uh, to the third and fourth generation. Deuteronomy 5, verse 8. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me And keep my commandments. Now go back in your Bible just one more time to Exodus once again, but this time chapter 34. Exodus 34. And what has happened is in Exodus 32, the people have built the golden calf. And uh, it's very, very important for you to know that as we progress this today. They've built the golden calf and Moses comes down from meeting with God, doesn't he? And he sees what's going on and he breaks the Ten Commandments in pieces. Must have been a pretty strong bloke, don't you think? And then God creates some new ones for him in chapter 34, uh, which is where we're going to pick up the reading. Verse 6. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers, to the third and fourth generation. If you um, look up in a dictionary the word pandemonium, you ever use that word? Oh, it was pandemonium there. Oh, I walked in and it was pandemonium. That's normally how it feels after LSI have used the back room. Uh, But it was pandemonium. And actually, what's interesting is pandemonium, the way we use it today, means chaos or everything out of control. But actually, if you look at it literally, the word pan means everything or all, and demonium is demon. So pandemonium, if you like, literally means everything is a demon. Right? That's sort of what it means, which, by the way, is not the case when LSI used the back room. <laughs> Uh, I don't think there's any demons at all. But it's funny how, uh, perhaps not so funny, how the modern charismatic church has been impregnated with this 
what I'm calling today pandemonium, which is that people become very spiritual, and perhaps really that's maybe not the right phrase. We use a phrase in our home and in our ministry, we say people are a bit spooky. And um, people become very, very uh, wound up with thinking about evil spirits and curses. And there comes a real sense in which the church can become a place of pandemonium. I'll give you an example of this. Just, I better be careful what I say. But a few weeks ago, I attended a prayer meeting, which was not here. And uh, there's only a few people gathered. And in that prayer meeting, more words, if you like, more sentences or time was addressed to Satan than to God. And all I could do was leave that meeting and think that wasn't a prayer meeting at all. People were talking to the devil. I don't come to a prayer meeting to talk to the devil. I come to a prayer meeting to talk to God. But what's tended to happen, what can happen, is a real wave of pandemonium that can come across particularly Pentecostal charismatic churches, but others are not exempt from it, of course, where there comes a real concentration on the power of, of Satan and the devil, and we've got to do battle. And wh- what you can end up with is a group of Christians who really gather together to take authority over the, you know, the powers of darkness hovering over, I don't know, Norway or some such thing. But if you actually went and looked at it, they haven't even taken authority over the washing up at home. They haven't got authority over, over the hoovering yet. But somehow, they somehow got power over strong men in Norway. Well, I can tell you, they certainly haven't. They certainly haven't. So we just need, you know, give me a Pentecostal break. We need to have a bit of perspective about this. And one of the things that got me into a bit of trouble a few years ago Many of you may know, many, uh, well, actually many of you may not know, that for years and years I was a writer for a Pentecostal magazine, a national magazine. And so lots of people read my stuff from John O'Groats to Land's End. They'd never met me, but they used to regularly read my ramblings. And um, I once wrote an article for this magazine that got me into some notoriety, praised by some, and ostracized by others, where I wrote this, that I did not believe in generational curses as taught by Pentecostal churches. And people thought I'd gone crazy. You don't believe it? Are you saved? Are you really a Christian? You don't believe it? You claim to have a supernatural ministry and a Pentecostal ministry, but you don't believe in generational curses. And you can imagine I got into a bit of trouble. Uh, Of course, when people wrote to me and said, how come you don't believe in generational curses? I was able to tell them, well, it's not my fault. My grandfather didn't believe in them. (laughs) It's how ridiculous it is. Now, first of all, let me set the scene for you. Um, Teaching on generational curses has become extremely popular. Now, let me just set the scene, because some of you may never even have heard of this. And if that's the case, well, praise God for that. But many of you have heard of this, and some of you may have come from churches or read books or gone to conferences where this was directly taught to you as something that was true. So listen carefully. Listen carefully, because I want to unpack it. Now, roughly defining it is this. A generational curse, as understood today, is that if you've got some problem in your life, now I don't want to be too, I don't want to be mocking it, I want to explain it really in the way that it's normally explained. If you've got some problem in your life, which can't be resolved in some way, either you are ill or you have a particular temper, or you are addicted to things, and despite all the normal things of counseling and prayer, you are still not free, something like that, then the time has come, perhaps, to consider that you might, in fact, be under some sort of curse. And 
roughly, if someone were to teach you this, they would tell you something along the lines of this, that something that your grandfather or grandmother did, or your mother did, has somehow passed its way down to you. So a classic example would be, your great-grandfather was somehow in league with Satan. It's amazing how many of our family members are all in league with Satan. But anyway, was somehow in league with Satan and did some sort of ritual. And as a result of this, that's why you have got to have cheese every day or something like that. That's why you have pains in your back. Something like that. It has traveled down the bloodline to you. Now, I know I'm being a bit light about this, but people really do teach this. And I suspect they teach it in this city on a Sunday morning in a number of places. And, and it's one of two things. Either your grandfather was a sinner in some way, uh, and therefore it's come down to you. So your grandfather hit your grandmother, and that's why your father hit your mother, and that's why you now hit your wife. You know, somehow it's traveling through. Or your great-grandfather, he had asthma, and now his son had asthma, and now you have asthma, and it's traveled through the lines. So it's either that, some sin or some affliction, or at the extreme end, some pact they made with the devil when no one could see them, you know, a hundred years ago. I want to say today, I believe this is absolute nonsense. And I want to take you through this morning ten reasons why I believe it's nonsense. And the reason I want to take time to do it and be so strong about it is because it has become so popular more and more that I want it now, by the end of my ten reasons, I may still have not persuaded you, particularly if you've had, you know, treatment of this, DVDs of this, books. And worse still, let me tell you, worse still, if you've had some sort of experience where you've got an anecdote, well, my friend, this happened to them. And that's the hardest person to persuade, of course. But I want to give you 10 reasons why it can't possibly be true. And some of them you'll think are stronger than others. But I hope by the end of it, unless you can refute it from the scripture, not from what your mate told you, or not from what a pastor told you, but unless you can refute it from a scriptural angle, then it is irrefutable. We're people of the word. Can you say amen? amen. People of the word, not people of experience. So, here we go. Are you ready? Everyone say number one. Yeah, it feels like a long time to the end, doesn't it? Boy. I'll go through them quickly, I promise. I promise. And if I don't, it's not my fault. My great-grandfather, he preached for ages. Okay. Number one. This is a good one. No one in the Bible ever broke a curse off anyone. Now, we can stop there, really. But Elijah didn't go up to anyone's house and break off a curse. <laughs> Elijah didn't go up and give anyone a bit of paper, read this out. Jesus didn't break off a curse from anyone. Not once. He cast out demons, but that's a totally different thing. And the apostles... Didn't break a curse off anyone, ever. Not once. So if you're a curse breaker, you ought to be a bit worried about this. Because you're on your own, son. You're doing it yourself. Because there's not, an, there's not apostolic modeling of this. Jesus didn't do it. John the Baptist didn't do it. Elijah didn't do it. Elijah didn't do it. Isaiah didn't do it. Nobody did it. Nobody did it. So why are people doing it? I don't know. But the kind of ministry I want is a Jesus ministry, an apostolic ministry, not, not a paperback one that we just thought up 30 years ago. So that's number one. 
it was not part of the ministry of the early church. Speaking in tongues is part of the Bible. Casting out demons, part of the Bible. Healing the sick, part of the Bible. Giving prophecies, part of the Bible. Preaching the gospel, part of the Bible. But generational curses, it, it's not in the ministry. No one breaks a curse off anyone. That's a very, very big reason not to believe in it. Number two, there is no instruction on breaking curses in any of the epistles of the New Testament. That's 121 chapters. I know that because I personally counted them. I didn't Google that, everybody. I counted them. There are 121 chapters of epistles in the New Testament. They are full of all sorts of instructions. Love, marriage, conflict, jealousy, instructions on breaking of bread, instructions on healing, instructions on spiritual gifts instructions on prayer, but not once did Paul ever think to himself, do you know what? I've got to include a great big chapter on the breaking of curses. He didn't think of it. Why not? Because there aren't any. If you thought there were some, don't you think he would have included it? I think he would have. But even if it slipped his mind, don't you think it should have been in James or Peter or John or Hebrews? None of these books which are given to us to instruct the church today contain any instruction to us to do this breaking of curse stuff. Not one hint of it in the whole New Testament. And even if you think Paul and James and John might have been absent-minded, let me tell you, the Holy Spirit is not absent-minded. And if we needed it, it would be there. Number three. The context of these verses we read do not speak about a personal curse. Now this is very key for you to understand. Because some say, well, excuse me. But it says in the Bible that if the people sin, they will be cursed to the third and fourth generation. Well, first of all, I try to be really, really clear that the reason why God said that was because the people were involved in idolatry. So that's the first thing to say. But the second thing to say, which is more important really, those words were not uttered to an individual. They were uttered to a nation. And we need to interpret our Bible in the context in which all the information is said. God speaking to a country or a nation it's completely different to God speaking directly to a person. Do you know what God is saying to Israel? He's saying this, if you will turn your back on me, this is what he's saying to Israel, it's going to be terrible for you. And those of us reading through the Old Testament at the moment on our reading plan, we, we are picking this up thick and fast all the time. God says to Israel, if you will turn your back on me, it's going to take you a few generations to recover. If you turn your back on me, you can return to me, but in fact, to the third and fourth generation, you're going to have problems. That is the, the simplest way to interpret those verses. How many believe that the United Kingdom has probably could be said to have turned its back upon God? And we're believing for revival, but let me assure you, as much as we can see revival in the church or certain areas, it's going to take generations before this country is back how it used to be. It's a biblical principle. So these words about God will punish to the third and fourth generation. These are not words given to any single person in a prayer line in a church. They are words spoken to a nation. God says, don't turn from me. Don't turn to idolatry. If you do, it's going to take three or four generations before my anger against you is going to be completely, you know, released and expired and, and ceased. Even if 
Number four. Even if we could say, well, no, I don't agree there. I think it could be for an individual on each occasion, particularly in the Exodus uh, 20 passage and Deuteronomy 5, the text says this, punishing to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. If you don't believe it, look in your Bible and see it. Of those who hate me. I've got news for you. I do not hate God. I don't hate God. And people who go to conferences because they're frightened they've got a curse on them. Listen, let me tell you this. If you pay 45 quid to go to a conference, you don't hate God, do you? You probably like God quite a lot. If you've driven across the country to go and get your problem sorted out, you do not hate God. Most likely you don't hate God. The, this, this, this bleak outlook was for those who hate God. So if you're standing in some conference and someone comes up to you and wants to break a curse off you, you don't have to go into the, now excuse me, let me just explain. It's a national context. (laughs) Just put your hand on the guy's shoulder or the girl and say, excuse me, I do not hate God. Sometimes I'm better with God than other times, but I do not hate God. To the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Well, I don't hate him. I got my own problems, but I don't hate him. And you probably don't hate him. So why would you be worried about this? That's number four. Number five. The Bible could not be clearer. We are responsible for our own mistakes. In this chapter, Ezekiel rather, Ezekiel 18, there's a, there's a little section in it where God says, if a righteous man turns from me, he will be punished. And if a sinful man turns from his wicked ways, I will forgive him. And it concludes with this verse, verse 30. It says something like, because everyone will be judged according to their own actions. Boy, oh boy, you've got enough problems without worrying about what your great uncle Bulgaria got up to in 1896. (laughs) Haven't you? I want to suggest to you that some of the problems we've got in our life are to do with us, not to do with the dubious antics of Auntie Betty. (laughs) Well, I think it might be to do with Auntie Betty. Do you really? Did you ever meet her? Well, no, but I read some funny stuff about her. Well, God bless her. The Bible couldn't be clearer. And to suggest that somehow you are being punished because what someone else has done is contrary to the DNA, to the whole theme of the Bible and, and uh, Christian, Christian thought. So that's number five. Number six. You want to be worried about generational curses? You just be Jesus Christ for five minutes. Have you looked at Jesus' family tree lately? Where shall we begin? All of them saints, you know. Every one of them. No, not one of them. Who's in the family tree of Jesus? Let's just think of a few. Rahab the prostitute. Let's start there. Am I correct? Yeah. Noah. He's a good guy, you know, but he didn't have, you know, knock back the drink. King David. Uh, King David. A good king, you know, but, you know, killed people, didn't he? Uh, that he shouldn't have. 
you know, he killed a few people he should have, but he killed some people he shouldn't have. Adultery. Solomon. I mean, you just, just go through it. I was reading the book of Chronicles over the weekend. They're all villains. <laughs> what about Joseph? An angel comes to him and says, I don't believe this. Mary, well, how can this be? Oh, there's a spirit of unbelief there. It's all a load of rubbish. <laughs> Do you honestly believe that at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was about to go out and minister into Galilee, but instead he went over for a bit of inner healing with John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist sat him down. Now, have you got anyone in your family tree involved in prostitution, murder, uh, anyone involved in your family tree who worshipped idols? Well, what could Jesus say? Well, let's go back and have a read. Half of them worshipped idols. Didn't seem to affect him. Why didn't it affect him? Because it's not true. Because it, 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 it's, it's not true. You could just see Jesus now with John the Baptist now. John going out. Just read this out. It just takes a few minutes. I want to renounce. No, he didn't have to renounce because he hadn't done it. We're responsible for our own lives. We're responsible for our own crimes. We're responsible for our own misdemeanors, but not those of, not those of who've come before us. Now, let me just say this. Medically, medically, Someone will sit down and say, okay, did your father have diabetes? And you sit there, you say, yes, my father had diabetes. And what does the doctor say? Well, you, you need to be careful then, right? Now, that's not a spiritual curse. That's to do with the physical body. Well, my father, you know, used to drink a lot. Well, you want to be careful then about, you know, drinking. But that's, that's not the curse of God in your family. That's, that, that is medical and scientific data. Perhaps a bit more painful to us. If a kid grows up and sees that it's okay for his dad to hit his mum, what might that kid grow up to be? And we've seen them all, haven't we? Come on, talk to me today. We've seen them all. Well, the reason I hit her is because my dad, okay, now we've got a reason, but it's not an excuse. So absolutely, we learn things from our family. Absolutely, we have their bit of their DNA in us. <coughs> absolutely, you're more like your mum than you wish you were. Or your dad? Or I should say, you're more like your dad than your wife wishes you were. Or whatever it is. Sometimes I go and see my dad, I think, mirror, mirror, on the wall, I am my father after all. <laughs> of course we pick up from people. But it's not a demon transferring grumpiness from him to you. You're grumpy all by yourself. And it's not a demon taking cancer from mum to daughter. Now thank God we have a healing God, you know. And in that sense, you might want to break things. But it's not a curse. We're talking about a medical What's the word I'm after? Condition, you know. So the lineage of Jesus, you imagine that. If you think your great uncle whatever got up to something, you're not a patch on Jesus and his family tree. But he seemed to be all right. Why? Because it's not true. Number seven. Ha, ah, this is my favorite one. Good. I'm glad we got to this. I'm glad you're still awake and we got to this one. Number seven, 
Number seven. It's my favorite number. It was my grandfather's favorite number. All right, maybe I shouldn't do that joke again and again. (laughs) We want to be good Bible students. We want to be good Bible students. So just, if you've got your Bible, just go back to Exodus 20. We could have gone to any of them, but let's just go to this one. Exodus 20. Here's where I believe the teachers of this idea really, really do us a tremendous disservice. This is the most inexcusable part of it. Because when you read this passage, there is no mention whatsoever of two words that are vital if it, if it was true. Number one, the word curse never appears. Not once. He says, I will punish to the third and fourth generation. Doesn't say I will put a curse on them. He says, I will punish them. So anyone who wants to suggest that you've got a generational curse, if they were really going to use Bible language, which of course they should, they should tell you God wants to keep on punishing you. And what would you say to that? You'd say, that's not true in Christ. The second thing is this. And brother, and brother, what I just said there, that was vital information. God says, I will punish, I will punish. There's no curse. I will punish. But here's the big one. Satan is not mentioned. So the word curse is not mentioned. And Satan is not mentioned at all. And what the teachers of this do, and by the way, the teachers of this normally look half depressed themselves. How do you know you're into wrong doctrine? I'll tell you, you lose your joy. You walk around going, you know, you're in error. You can't go out your front door because there might be a demon under your car. You're in error. You're in error. Your car might be not so good, but it ain't no demon. It just needs an MOT. One lady, I was in a Bible shop once, and one lady had a tape recorder, it wouldn't work, and she began to rebuke it in the name of Jesus. And now I admire her faith, but what she needed was Dixon's or Curry's. Not, not hocus pocus power. I rebuke this. I rebuke, you know, it's 17 years old, never been cleaned. I rebuke this. Why is your car not working? It's a spirit. It's not a spirit. Go to the garage. Can you say amen? Really? (laughs) Now here's what they do. They take these verses about the third and fourth generation. They insert the concept of a curse, which is not in the original at all. But here's the naughtiest thing they do. They say that it's Satan that's doing it. Now, every one of these verses we've read... The only person talking is God. And God does not think to himself, you know what, I'm ever so busy. I need to subcontract this punishment out. Who can do it? Let me get Satan to do it. He's cheap. And he works every day. What a load of nonsense. Satan is not in any of these passages. So the person doing the generational punishment is God himself. And let me tell you this. If God has cursed you, there ain't nothing you can do. What are you going to do? Go and see charismatic Jumper John and have him pray for you. One time, many, many years ago, a man came to me and he said, I think this is when I was in another county to here. He said, we need to introduce this teaching of generational curses. I, mean, uh, I need to be fair, he didn't quite say that, but that was his inference. And I said, well, I don't believe in it. And he said what many people will say. He said, but I had this experience. And I'll comment on that in a minute. He said, I had this experience and I was set free from a curse. I said, who set you free? He said, well, the person praying for me. I said, what, you mean God? He said, oh, yes, God set me free. 
I said, well, who from the Bible put the curse on you? He said, well, it was Satan. I said, no, it wasn't. If you're going by the Bible, it was God. So what we're doing, we're trying to undo things that God has done by calling upon God. It's completely confused. There is no devil involved in this. Now, let me take a moment. Let me take a little sidestep. There is such a thing as demon possession. There is such a thing as evil spirits. There is such a thing as the oppression of a Christian coming under attack from satanic forces. But don't call it a curse. And don't call it a generational curse. Call it what it is. Spiritual warfare. Okay. But don't come up with some uh, hocus pocus thing and think God has cursed me so I need God to get it off me. It's just completely confused. Now let me make a comment about people's experiences. Because there may be people sitting even in this room. People say, well I had it. I really had that experience. You know, I was addicted to smoking or, you know, whatever. And I came for prayer. And the person said, I break off this generational curse. And I went home and I never smoked again. So it must have been a curse because that's what they told me at the front. Listen, let me give you another example. There are different ideas about the topic of healing. Some people hold the view that Jesus has already died for their sicknesses already. And so someone comes along and prays and they are free. Other people believe that it is a gift of the Spirit or something like this. And you can get healed in either of those meetings. Even though the person ministering may have different theologies. Do you understand that? They may have different ideas. They both believe that Jesus is a healer, but one believes this thing about healing, another believes this about healing. I was dealing with uh, someone just yesterday who refuses to take any medicine, for example. And he may find himself getting a healing from God, but he might not get the healing because he refused the medicine. He might get the healing because God is good to him. So what people, what people believe and speak May, that may not hinder the power of God flowing. So you could go and have someone pray for you and break a curse over you. And maybe God would touch you and heal you, but it doesn't mean that their theology was correct. Do you understand? The way they prayed it, what they did, may not have had anything to do with it. In my meetings in Brazil, sometimes people are healed, I don't even get to them. I'm just preaching away and people are healed in their chairs. There's no theology attached to it at all. They've got no idea what I believe about healing. They're just healed. Well, thank God they are. But you, you look up healing. Many of you might have done that. One guy used in healing believes this. Another guy used in healing believes this. They believe completely different things, but they both see people get healed. Why? Because neither that man nor that man are healing anyone, only God. So people can believe things about curses. You might even have a know someone who had some sort of experience, but it doesn't invalidate bad doctrine and bad practice. Better to say, thank God, if you got free of smoking, thank God for that. But it doesn't, it does not authenticate the doctrine used. Oh, did I go back at one in my pocket? Okay. Number eight. I want to ask this question. Because people say, well, what about if my great uncle Bulgaria really did make a pact with the devil? I want to ask this question. Can Satan really curse God's people? So even if you said, okay, well, God subcontracted out the cursing, which is, of course, baloney. But even if you believe that, Balaam, you remember him? He tried to curse Israel. And he couldn't. He couldn't do it. Why not? He said this, how can I curse those whom God has not cursed? One time I sat in a, in a, in a pub trying to evangelize an old friend of mine. I'd only been a Christian a few weeks. 
And I said, come down and I'm going to evangelize. Well, I didn't tell him that, did I? Come down and let's have a drink. <laughs> Let me tell you what's happened to me. So we sat in this pub. He and I. And what I didn't know was that he was an occult master. Great. My first candidate. An, an occult master. He did everything but levitate off the floor in the pub, I'll tell you. Now, let me assure you, he didn't buy any drinks. But he was an occult master. And I was trying to preach the gospel to him and he wouldn't receive it. Listen to this. He said, I've got powers anyway. He said, I've got powers to start fires. I thought, well, a bad electrician's got power to start fires. He said, I've got power to start fires. And then he chilled me to the bone by telling me, he said, do you remember in the local paper there were unexplained fires in our town of Paynton? I said, I do. He said, that was me. And maybe he was right. He said, I cast fires to burn houses. He said, there was a girl. I hated her. I wanted to destroy her. He said, I got very near. One of the fires we started was near her home. After the third time, he gave up. I was, I'd just been a Christian a few weeks, you know. <laughs> wow. I think I might go back on the drink. <laughs> Get me a Diet Coke, quick. <laughs> and he didn't tell me any more. And then as we left, as we left, I said, well, don't you be casting any more fires, mate. You know, trying to make light of it. You know, what do you do when you've met Merlin? You know, you know what, do you, what do you do? He said, yeah, he said, I, I hated that girl. He said, and she was a Christian and all. I said, I thought, wow. No wonder you couldn't get her. She was a Christian and all. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Let me just ask you, do you honestly believe that Satan can push you down the stairs? I don't. A bad carpet can. <laughs> One evangelist arrived in town in America, and the visiting, the pastor hosting him, came up to him and said, oh, I'm so glad you're here. We're going to have an amazing set of meetings. He said, oh, well, praise God. How do you know? He said, well, he said, because I've been terribly ill all week. The enemy is attacking us. And the visiting evangelist said, well, it's a shame he didn't kill you, and then we could have had a revival here. One man came out to a pastor and said this. He said, I've enjoyed the service today. He said, but did you feel the oppression in the service? Did you feel it? And the pastor had to think. And he said, yes. Actually, I did. He said, it came on real strong as soon as you arrived. Okay, but it's just pandemonium. It's nonsense. Jesus is the Lord of all. And she was a Christian and all. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Is that right? If you think the devil can come into your house, you're, you're building that in your mind. I do not believe the devil can come into my house. He doesn't have the key. People who bind and they've, some people have done so much binding, they've worn their binder out. So they're lucid him now, just for variety. We've ended up, listen, I mean, we're having a some fun, but listen, we've ended up with a theology that God is trapped inside his heavens, reaching through the bars, shouting to the church, please let me out. Please have a prayer meeting and let me out. 
But God is not imprisoned in any heavens. God is moving by his spirit. Well, number nine. I want to declare today the cross of Christ overcomes all evil. Turn to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. We're nearly done. Am I cursed? No, I'm blessed. Have we missed what God actually said? He said, I'm going to curse, but I will bless to a thousand generations to those who keep my commandments. You shouldn't expect your children to be cursed. You should expect them to be blessed to a thousand generations. Hallelujah. And of all that was wrong, the the actual process of the curse of the law that God himself had, of course, initiated. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, we have the answer. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Can you say amen? For it is written, cursed is everyone hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. I'm not cursed. I'm blessed. And I won't have anyone persuade me that I'm cursed. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Finally, number 10. There is a fundamental part of Christian philosophy, theology, ideas. And it is the principle of free will. If such a thing as generational curses existed that made me get angry like my grandfather did or something like that. There was such a thing as that. That that would violate my free will. But God has given us free will. And in conclusion today, what we need to talk about in churches today, what we need to talk about in home groups and Bible classes and prayer meetings, and as we talk together, is not generational curses, but generational choices. If your mum drank herself ill, then you don't do it. You make a generational choice. If your dad hit your mum, you make a generational choice. I ain't going to hit my mum. Or I ain't going to hit my wife. Do you understand? If your great uncle Bulgaria was a Freemason, well, you're not going to be. And what we so need, rather than looking for explanations in the ether and in the void, actually we need to understand we have the power to take control of our destiny to a great degree. That we are not uh, imprisoned by the forces of fate, but actually through Christ I can make a difference. We will raise our children to be better than us. And we will be better than our, than our forefathers. I'll finish with this. There's a little piece in 1 Corinthians. It's chapter 10. Verse 11. I won't turn to it for time's sake, but write it down if you're writing things down. 1 Corinthians 10, 11. You know what, you know what the apostle says? He's writing about the children of Israel wandering in the desert. Disobeying God. Turning to idols. That's where this, all these passages come from. And he says this. These things were recorded as examples. So that we today don't repeat them. Paul didn't write to the Corinthians and say, I've got bad news for you, boys. Your ancestors messed up in the desert, 
so you're going to mess up too. Didn't tell him that. He said, these things were recorded as a wake-up call to you to say, my granddad, my dad, my great-grandfather may have done this, my mother, my whatever, may have done this, but I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to make a generational choice to be different. So there are ten biblical reasons why no matter what goes on in any spooky meetings, whatever anyone's told you, whatever paperback you can pick off the shelf this afternoon, actually it does not have a biblical foundation. And it's worse than that because it causes people to be messed up, to they came to a meeting ill and now they go home ill and cursed. And the kingdom of God has not been progressed. And the spirit of God has not spoken. People become messed up. So I commend these ideas to you today. Commit them to you. That wherever you go, whoever you meet, whatever scenario you find yourself in, be sure to break free of all pandemonium. And let's talk about Jesus in church, shall we? Let's talk about the Holy Spirit in church. Let's have prayer meetings that where we do it according to the Bible, where we talk to God and not spend half an hour you know, causing the forces of darkness to leave who incidentally cannot even enter the room. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.